the number one concern and reoccurring topic here among those who attend EBF that comes up time and time again is people within our congregation want to know the will of God. And you would think it's just something that happens when you're in college or grad school or in your 20s, but it's not the case. People throughout their lives are consistently asking the question of what is God's will for them. They're trying to make decisions, trying to figure out the next move in life, the next strategy to pull off. They're just trying to discern the will of God. And we've had many sermons here before talking about specific verses on the will of God and uh, some direction with regard to that. But the Bible is also full of examples of people actually trying to discern the will of God for themselves. And this morning, we're going to look at such an example of King David. So if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles, we're in 1 Samuel 23. I realize we are in kind of like the no man's land of 1 Samuel, which is a lot of passages that you might not be familiar with, stories that you may have never heard of. So I want to kind of bring those of you up to speed who've been with us and those who are visiting today kind of what's going on right now in 1 Samuel. King Saul has been rejected due to his disobedience, and David is the newly anointed king. And he has yet to take the throne. Instead, he's on the run for his life. So King Saul is trying to kill King David. David tries to find shelter at his home with his wife, Michael. Nope, Saul's after him. He tries to find shelter with the prophet Samuel. Can't do it. He goes and tries to hang out with his good friend, Jonathan. No safety. Saul is after him. He bopped around to Nob, to Achish, to Adullam, to Mizpah, and the forest of Hereth. It seemed that everywhere that David went, Saul was after him. So he's under the threat of his life. And this, this lasts for what seems like a really long time. And it seems like 1 Samuel there at the tail end of it. That's all what it's about. Saul's trying to kill David. Come next week, you feel like the story just keeps repeating itself. But get this. While David is on the run for his life, he realizes, hey, I'm the king. I am the newly anointed king, and maybe I should start acting like the king. And so he has an opportunity to help some people within Israel in our story today. And he's going to try to say, Lord, I know I'm running for my life, but I'm going to ask you and seek your face for discernment and wisdom on what I should do with some decisions I have to make. So we're going to see the newly anointed king starting to seek the face of God for some responsibilities. While at the same time, King Saul is still trying to kill him. He also pauses, asks the Lord for wisdom and discernment on how to deal with these threats of Saul. Let me show you where I'm going to go in today. This is the connection I want to make to your life. Each of you has a certain amount of responsibilities. You have decisions you need to make. You need to figure out what's happening next. And chances are that 
that most of you also have a number of threats you're dealing with. I, I don't know what they are, and they may increase throughout your life or decrease, but some of you have threats, and you're trying to discern, discern God's will and how you're to navigate these difficulties in your life. So each of us throughout our lives will have a certain amount of responsibilities and threats, and we need God's input and discernment on what we're supposed to do in these responsibilities that can be without, without drama, but sometimes with dealing with the drama in the threats. And, and that's where we're going to look at today is, what does it mean to seek God's face? What does it look like to inquire of the Lord in the midst of ongoing responsibilities and the midst of ongoing threats? It's really simple where we're going. That's where it is. Let's go ahead and pick up the story this morning in 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23. Let's dive into God's word. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. David is on the run for his life. Saul is after him. And while he's on the run, he hears that the Philistines are stealing the grain as they fight against the Israelites in Keilah. Though David is not yet on the throne, he wonders, huh, maybe I should do something about this. Samuel did anoint me as king. I'm supposed to be the next king. Maybe I should start acting like a king. Look at verse 2. Therefore David inquired of the Lord. Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So he inquires of the Lord, Should I attack them? God says, Go. But David's men say, Whoa. Look at verse 3. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah... How much more, then, if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? That makes sense to me. He's like, hey, Saul's attacking us here, and you mean we're going to go there and perhaps be under threat there. Why would we want to do that? So their hesitancy makes sense to me. David takes the feedback of his men, and he goes, okay, I'm going to go back to the Lord again and ask him what he thinks. Verse 4. Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. So David seeks the Lord again. Should he attack? The Lord says, go for it. David responds to the Lord's command, and he won a great victory. All right, so are you with me so far? David fulfills his responsibilities as a king, but he's still faced with the threat of Saul. Saul is still on the prowl and after David. Let's skip verse 6, come back to it a little bit. Look at verse 7. Stick with me here, verse 7. Now it was told that Saul had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. I want you to notice the spiritual assumption that Saul is making here. He says, God has given him into my hand. 
I want you to understand this. Saul is a rejected king. He has been disobedient throughout so many times in this book. And here he is saying, God has given David in my hand. Saul thinks and assumes that God has trapped David with these gates and bars. And God has designed it so that Saul can capture and perhaps even kill David. So Saul is assuming that God has orchestrated David's capture. And this is a great setup. This is a great setup for you. And I'm going to ask you this question. Do you make decisions like David or do you make assumptions like Saul? From our understanding of the Bible here, David's decisions to attack the Philistines came directly from God's word, directly from the word of God. Saul's assumptions are based upon hopeful dreaming that was actually against the word of God. So you get this? David is forced you're hearing from God. Saul is assuming he's hearing from God. He absolutely is not. And so for starters, if we are starting to make these decisions, we're going to be led by God in our decision-making. We have to, just for the beginner here, for starters, have to be led by God from his word, rather than assuming that God is leading us when we are directly opposing his word. Let me put it to you like this in a question. How do you discern God's direction for your life? Point one. You think like the word and not like the world. You think like the word and not like the world. When it comes to decision-making, figuring out your future, got some responsibilities coming your way, you got some threats coming your way, you want to be shaped by the word and not by the world. And this is is easy. This This is elementary stuff. This is stuff you should learn in Sunday school as a kid. The Bible says things like, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We want to be shaped. We want to think in our minds according to God's word and not the world. There's a popular verse in Romans 12 too. Maybe you've memorized it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The idea here is don't let your mind be shaped by worldly assumptions, shaped by worldly way of doing things, but let it be transformed by God's word so that you can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I've told this story many times since I've been here over the years, and I'm going to tell it again, but I'm going to fill in some details. I I know many of you are new, so you've never heard this before. But in my 20s, I was in graduate school. A lot of you in your 20s here, you're you're in grad school. seems like the thing to do. I was in graduate school uh, in Dallas, and for me that was called seminary. And my life was consumed with ministry and studying. And at this time, also while I was in Dallas, my grandmother lived there, and her health took a turn for the worse, and she needed a caregiver. No one from my family, for a variety of reasons, were stepping up to do anything. And so my assumption started piling up kind of like this. Okay, I I was 22 years old, starting grad school. I assumed that I was excluded from caring for her because I'm 22, I'm in grad school, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm called to be a pastor, 
I'm busy with ministry. I'm busy with studies. Uh, I have no clue how to care for someone at 22. I could barely care for myself at that age. I was in no condition. And to top it all off, my, my biggest uh, reason not to do it is that I was a boy. <laughs> but boy, she's a girl. Can't, can't do that. So my, my worldly assumption for sure is that I am excluded from caring for my grandmother for all of these spiritual and non-spiritual reasons. Now, I'd like to think that, that my heart was just melted and moved with compassion, and I saw a need, and I just moved toward the need. And Now, what happened is that God's word came after me. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, which maybe you've never read and you've never even thought about, comes actually from uh, 1 Timothy 5. It says this about widows and their grandkids. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 5. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, why do they have to put grandchildren in there? Just let the children deal with that stuff. Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So here's the deal. My worldly assumption was that I was excluded. But God's word said, no, you are not excluded. God's word was specifically calling me. It's on the pages of the word that me as a grandchild was supposed to care for my grandmother. And by God's grace, that's what I did for several years. It was difficult, challenging, painful. But God's word overrode my, my worldly assumptions. Because it wouldn't make sense. Why would you stop doing grad school? I didn't have to stop, praise God. But why would I interrupt it? Why would I mess? Why would I do that? God's word. And, and I look at you, and, you're, and, I, and I see many of you are trying to make decisions and discern God's direction for your life. And, and I'm wondering, are, are you really even thinking about inquiring of the word? Or are you just assuming there's a way that things must be done, and if you really press you a bit, it's really just according to the world's assumptions, the world's standards. I mean, think of all the decisions and, and that you have to make in the coming years. Think, just think about them. And all the threats that may be coming up in your life right now, are you thinking like the word? Are you thinking like the world? For those of you who have kids, I'm just asking. I'm not, I'm not getting in your business too, too much. Uh, but uh, are, are, are you... Are you are you, are you being guided by the word and raising your kids? Or are you just kind of doing it like maybe your parents did with you? How'd, how'd that turn out? I'm just wondering, are you being guided by the word? And for those of you who are getting close to retirement, are, are you being guided by the word and what's next? Or just kind of worldly assumptions of the way things work? Uh, for those of you who are uh, dating, or, or want to date? I know it's scary, huh? Are, are you being guided by the word? Are, are just the worldly assumptions, or just the way things are stepping? Just think about your next move in life. Are you, are you being guided by the word? Or, or just worldly assumptions? 
All right, let's go back to our story. We're, we're still going here. How did David, let's just, just ask it, how did David hear so clearly about what to do? Did it just look like he said, God, what should I do? And God's like, just go. How, how, did, how did that work? Like, I want in on that, right? You want to ask God a question? God, I got a question for you. Will you tell me? Just like that. Boom. How did that work? Uh, well, well, let's see how that worked. Verse 6. When Abathur, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David, to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Abathur is, is a priest, and he's the only one to have escaped Saul's slaughter of the priestly line back in chapter 22. And chances are that Abathur was already with David previously as they came to Keilah. Now, the significance of Abathur, don't, don't lose me here, the significance of Abathur is that he's a priest with an ephod. I didn't bring my ephod today, but he's a priest with an ephod. Uh, look at verse 9. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abathur, the priest, bring the ephod here. Now, an ephod is something likely that the priest would wear in the Old Testament. And, and some of the priests would wear a special ephod that had something called the Urim and Thummim. I know it sounds weird. On, on them. And, and in there contained something that, that, that consulted the will of God. We're not quite sure how it works, but David goes to the priest with an ephod, maybe ask a question, and he does something with the ephod and the Urim and Thummim, and the answer is given, and it's from the Lord. It's the Lord speaking through the priest to David. Now, I want you to watch David's inquiry of the Lord again and God's answer. Look, look, look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel... Your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. So he asks a question. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. There's the answer. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they would, could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. So, once again, here we go. David inquired directly of the Lord, and the Lord responded and protected him. And the means David used to approach God was the access provided by the priest. Would it be great if we had a priest that we could go to and that priest would take us right into the presence of God. I mean, wouldn't that just be awesome? I mean, David has a priest on hand that can give him access to God. I, I don't know about you. I, I, I would, wouldn't you love to have a priest? Wouldn't that be so awesome as New Testament believers to have a priest that would take us right? I'm just setting you up, aren't I? 
we do. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the great high priest who, who gives us access to the Father. There's a passage in Hebrews. I'll put it up for you. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here it is. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You have a perfect high priest who lived a life without sin, died in your place, rose again, and now passed to the heavens and is at the right hand of the Father. And if we trust in Christ to forgive us, Christ gives us access straight to the Father. And this priest can sympathize with us in our weakness. He knows what's going on. And through faith in Jesus, we are told that we can approach God's throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, I know that you may be saying, yes, but David went right to the priest He asked a question to the priest. The priest somehow did something with the ephod and communicated with him. And so David knew the answer. And you're thinking that Jesus doesn't work that way. You may be thinking, I can't go to God uh, and ask for a question and God's going to answer. Maybe you're thinking that if you're trying to make decisions in life right now, surely you're thinking it does not work at all like that, that maybe you're thinking in your prayers that God's never, ever actually going to answer and guide you. And and I want to push back on that. And and, and I want to say with with a lot of strength that I have is that God really will direct you. In fact, if you're trying to discern God's direction for your life, uh, the the second point I want to make is that you can ask God for wisdom and he will give it. You can ask God for wisdom, and he will give it. I might want to push this a little bit. You can come to the Father through Jesus with some decisions you're trying to make, and you can say, Father, please let me know what to do. Please give me wisdom through your word, through through people, through circumstances. Give me wisdom on trying to make this decision. And, you know, you know, the Bible says that God will give it to you. Let me put the verse up. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, that would be me, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Now, the catch is, the following verses after that, James, that, that you have to ask in faith. Because it's not going to be this direct response like David got. Immediately, boom, Saul's going to kill you. It was like right then. It requires faith because the response is not immediate. But I guarantee you, God will give wisdom for your decisions. It might not happen immediately. It will progress over time, and it will be clear to you by God's grace what you're supposed to do through his word, through other people, through discernment, through the circumstances. 
I truly believe that even today, many years after David, God still directs us and guides us and gives us wisdom. Let's keep going. Verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. So Jonathan's back on the scene here. He's there to encourage David. He affirms their pre-existing covenant before the Lord that Jonathan will support David as he comes to the throne, and David won't wipe out Jonathan's descendants. Now, the problem is here, I'm not going to get into it, is that Jonathan's view of the future is imperfect. He thinks he's going to sit at David's right hand, yet he's going to be killed in battle with the Philistines. But the point here is that he brought wisdom and encouragement that he gives to David that that strengthens him to carry on. And, it, and it's good. This friendship that David and Jonathan has, it's a big encouragement. And, and here David's on a run for his life, and Jonathan comes along, gives him some wisdom, some direction, and some encouragement and not to fear. And this is, this is really elementary stuff once again, that how do you discern God's direction for your life? Uh, you be open to the wisdom and encouragement of others. The third is just be open to the wisdom and encouragement of others. Isn't it amazing that it's something as simple as this is something you can fail to do? I don't know if you ever get something in your mind where you want to do something, you have your mind made up, and so you will not seek counselors out. Or if you have in your mind something you want to do, you will only seek out those counselors who will tell you what you want to do. But the body of Christ, I believe, is here to protect you. I believe if I'm trying to make decisions in my life, I need you, different voices, to help me make those decisions. I need that encouragement. My wife and I met with a a couple yesterday. They're trying to make big decisions in life. It was good that we could have that camaraderie and fellowship and talk about the Lord, his word, his will. And we need that as well. I remember several years ago, um, my wife and I were trying to um, get some movement on adoption of our, of our daughter Mary uh, from Ethiopia several years ago, and, and, and there wasn't much traction going. Or uh, We needed some wisdom, and so my wife filled our, our living room with some of you wise counselors who who gave us wisdom and input and encouraged us and prayed for us. We need that. Don't become so locked in on what you want to do that you're not going to seek the wisdom and input of others because you need it for your own protection. Let's keep going. Let's finish up in verse 19. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. He's so spiritual. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he's in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah 
And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Moan and the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And David and his men went to seek him. And, and David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Moan. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Moan. I'm check this out. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. The tension is high. Saul is on one side of the mountain. David and his men on the other side of the mountain. It appears right now at this point it is over for David. As far as he can tell, Saul's got him. In a sense, I would say that David is trapped. Most of the decision-making I've been talking about so far has to do in times of peace. You're trying to make some decisions of what to do next. And so you can go meet with people. You can get in the Word. You can ask God for wisdom. And you, and you relatively are doing it in times of peace. But how do you um, do when you're, when you're trapped? How do you do when things aren't going so well? How do you make decisions? How do you discern what's next when, when, when it doesn't seem like there is a decision to be made? You really feel trapped. Let, let's just say uh, you're married and it's not getting better. You've sought the word of God. You've sought counselors. You've prayed for wisdom and it is not getting better. You're trapped. What do you do in, in your job or, or in school when it's just not working for you? You've asked God for wisdom. You've met with counselors but it, it's, it's nothing, it's, you just, you feel trapped. And I know some of you have been in a place where you've, you've been ill or you've been depressed and you've prayed, you've asked for wisdom, you've sought counselors for others to help and it's not, the darkness is not lifting, the illness is not going away. You feel trapped. So how do you discern the will of God when you feel trapped? I, I think that's something we may be missing. I know when you read decision-making in the will of God or you read a lot of these books about how to make decisions or uh, you, you talk to other people about making decisions, you, you don't really know what to do when there doesn't seem to be a decision to be made or things don't seem to be going well. Just life seems miserable. What do you do then? And what's interesting, David is being closed in on by Saul here. He's trapped and you may think, the Bible doesn't tell us anything. <laughs> David, what do you do, man? Tell me, tell me what you do, because I saw all your other stuff going to the ephod, going to Jonathan. I see, but what do you do now? You are trapped. Looks like you're about to be killed. What's the move? And in 1 Samuel 23, doesn't tell us. But you know what's so cool about the Bible? It actually does tell us, because it may seem random, but we, we actually know under this situation what David prays, because it's recorded for us in the book of Psalms. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn there, I don't know if you want to turn that, Psalm 54 actually tells us what David prayed during this time. 
the, the heading of this psalm says, a, a masculine of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among you? So here's his prayer. Let's look at this prayer in Psalm 54. This is what he does. He says, O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. What do you do when you're trying to start God's direction for your life, and you feel trapped? I think this is left out of many books on decision-making in the will of God, so I'm going to add it right here. Point four. You cry out to God in the midst of the trials. I can guarantee you there will be seasons of your life where you will be calm and you will ask God for wisdom and you will seek direction and you will seek the input of counselors. But there are going to be seasons of pain and uncertainty where you do not know what to do you feel trapped. You do not think there is a solution on the horizon. You, you see no solution. Life is miserable. The circumstances are not changing. And, and you're not one, you just don't know what to do. And I would say it's during those seasons that you pray the prayer of David. And I'm going to sum up the prayer with these words. It goes like this. Oh, God, save me. Oh, God, save me. You may not have any other prayer in you. You may not know what to do next. Oh, God, save me. I'm trapped. Things are not getting better. I've sought all the counselors. I'll keep seeking your word. I'll keep asking wisdom, but I don't see anything changing. Oh, God, save me. And maybe something will change. I guarantee you'll change in heaven. And it might actually change on this earth. And for David, it did. If you look at the rest of the passage, you see how things did change for him. You keep going, you say in uh, verse 27, a messenger came to Saul. <laughs> so Saul's about to kill David. A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Saul's about to come and kill David. Saul hears the Philistines are attacking, so he has to leave. And so David is protected, and that place is called the Rock of Escape. Maybe God will give you that place, the Rock of Escape. Your prayer has been, oh, God, save me. And maybe there'll be a breakthrough. And you'll say, God has given me the Rock of Escape. But you're not feeling that right now. So throughout your days, you're going to be making decisions, and sometimes the circumstances are not going to be the most ideal. They're going to be pretty painful, and you'll keep seeking the word, and you'll keep going to counselors. A lot that may be left is just, oh, God, save me. What I want to do here is I know that you're busy people, so I thought it would be kind of cool just 
as I finish up here, to just kind of walk you through this prayer of seeking God's discernment with you right now. I mean, we're about to have communion, and there'll be elders spread throughout that can pray with you personally. But right now, I want to kind of just walk you through this prayer, these kind of these four points of these decisions you may have to make in your life or maybe a situation where you're like, oh, God, save me. And I'm just kind of walk you through. And so in the privacy between you and God, you can talk to God, ask him questions, cry out to him in in your own heart. So I'm going to go to prayer and lead you through this. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, you already know what many of these men and women have been praying for a long time or the decisions they have to make or the pain they feel. So, Lord, I just ask that you would maybe convict them right now or encourage them to come to you through that great high priest Jesus. And, and where you're sitting right now, just be honest with God. Are you making decisions according to his word or according to the world? Just be totally honest with God. Talk to him about that. Lord, I know that you, for sure, give wisdom if we ask it and not doubt. So where you're sitting right now, if you have some decisions to make, things you're trying to figure out and navigate, right now where you're at, just, just, just ask God for wisdom. Ask in faith and believe that in his time and in his way, he will give it to you. So go ahead and ask him for wisdom. And as you're talking to God, you know that he has sent people into your life to help you, support you, and encourage you. And, but that's not going to work if you've cut yourself off from them or if you don't want to be around them or if you don't want to talk to them. So right now, talk to God about who you can talk to and ask wisdom from and get help from and encouragement from. Who, who, who is that? How many people? Who? Talk to God about that right now. For those of you who feel trapped, you're not quite sure the next move. You're not quite sure if there's any light coming. Take this time just to cry out to God and say, Oh God, save me. Lord, would you please bring hope to your children? you're still in control, that you still love them, that you really do want to guide and direct them, that you really do want to pour out wisdom. You really have made a way through the high priest Jesus. You care about them. 
impress upon them this morning that you've not left them, you've not abandoned them. You're still there. We love you, Father. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.